This is Soundstage founder Doug Schneider. You're listening to the Soundstage Audiophile Podcast, your semi-regular deep dive into news, facts, opinions, and anecdotes about everything that really matters in the world of high-performance audio. Hosts Brent Butterworth and Dennis Berger have more than five decades worth of audio product testing experience and a few hours of podcasting experience as well. Now, here's Brent and Dennis. Hello, everyone. It's Dennis Berger, editor of Soundstage Access, a website dedicated to high-value audio and tips and tricks for beginners. And hello, everyone. This is Brent Butterworth. I'm the editor of Soundstage Solo, which talks about headphones. And we're here to talk about all sorts of things that are audio-related. What do you want to start off with this week, Brent? I would like to start with a story that just appeared today in the Boston Globe. You know, normally we don't talk about, you know, stuff that happens in newspapers. We talk about articles that appear in audio publications. But the um, the article is titled, Layoffs Hit Bose as the Company Focuses on Its Most Popular Products. There's another headphone-related piece that I want to dig into. It's actually one that you wrote, Brent, for Soundstage Solo. It's called, How Consistent is the Quality of Headphones and Earphones? This is something I've been wanting to talk to you about for a while, just personally. So I'm kind of glad we get to have this conversation uh, publicly, as it were. Yeah, I was um, lucky enough to be able to do some testing that I always wanted to do on that, but never really had a chance. And so we're going to do one more story that is uh, the headline of it is every audiophile needs to do this annually. And this is one that you wrote for Soundstage Access. Mm -hmm. And this is you talking about how you test your hearing. And why. Um, But before we get into that, let's let's dig into this Bose piece. I was really shocked when you sent me the link to this article. Uh, it's kind of huge. Um, as you said, this is on the Boston Globe, and I, I didn't realize just looking at the at the deck of this story that the the workforce of Bose has been reduced by two thousand people in recent years. But there was another recent round of layoffs. This is it's kind of yeah, surprising to me because two hundred forty five people in March. Yeah, you kind of. Wow. I mean, at least I, you know we get into ruts, we get into habits of thinking, and I've just always sort of thought of Bose as this untouchable giant in our industry. But apparently, that's not the case. Um, what What was your biggest takeaway from this piece? Well, my the the takeaway. First of all, I have to say the lead is really interesting. Um, I'm going to read the lead sentence to you. Bose Corp has been cutting jobs and shifting its focus as the audio company known for its noise-canceling headphones and portable speakers, faces declining sales and growing competition. Mm-hmm. And note that what they didn't talk about in there was passive speakers, <laughs> which is, you know, audiophiles are like, oh, Bose sucks. And audiophiles have been saying Bose sucks for 30 years based yeah. on speakers that were built 30 years ago that Bose, I guess, still sells, but barely even sells and haven't been redesigned for, for decades. Mm-hmm. So if audiophiles are tuning into this and going like, oh, Bose, you know, why are they talking about Bose? Well, Bose is a really big, successful audio company that doesn't make products that are targeted to audiophiles mm-hmm. and really never has. Um, and, and you know, Granted, yes, a lot of, you know, Dr. Amar Bose's ideas about audio were, were you know, kind of, they were in the early stages when people were still trying to figure out what to do. And yeah, he sued a lot of people and blah, 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 blah. That has nothing to do with the Bose of today. But the Bose of today makes noise-canceling speakers or noise-canceling headphones. (laughs) Noise-canceling speakers would be a trick. Um, You know, wireless speakers, uh, professional audio products and things like that. So... Mm -hmm. But um, I, I think the the you know they talked a lot about how uh, so many of the 
businesses that Bose has gotten into have not paid off. One of which is their, you know, they they were they aggressively launched a an over the counter hearing aid, and even before the standards had been finalized by the by the uh, the FDA. Mm-hmm. And but now they were able to use some legal runarounds to do it, and so they did it legitimately, and they came out with a you know a, a reasonable product. Um, but they shut that whole division down, and you know we've been we've all been under the impression that like yeah the hearing aid thing is going to be huge now that they've made you know they're going to have this over the counter hearing aid thing that Congress approved of uh, four or five years ago. But geez, maybe not. And you know they had these audio these Bose audio glasses right that have uh, they're like mm-hmm. they have like you know, little Bluetooth speakers built into the temples. And, you know, we tried them and honestly, they're really good, but the product has just tanked. I mean, I guess nobody wants that. And so they're kind of, I I think, and once you get into the things they're competing in, like noise canceling headphones and which they used to have, they used to, they still have, you know, really tight patents on that. However, people with digital technologies have, have been able to work around the patents. And now a lot of other companies, even like, uh, like Soundcore, you know, Soundcore has noise canceling headphones that are, you know, more or less the equivalent of Bose, and they're selling them for like a hundred, hundred and fifty bucks, as opposed to the Bose product, which is you know three hundred, three fifty. Um, you know, one more has noise canceling earphones that are at least the equal of the Bose product at at you know a quarter of the price, I think, third or a quarter of the price, and so. I think I was really shocked when I got the Sony XM4s about the quality of, of its noise cancellation because you could argue that in certain frequency bands, of course, it's it's not the equal of what Bose is doing. But taken as a whole, it's you know depending on your needs for noise cancellation, really, really great. You know, whereas I yeah. I wouldn't have thought Sony would have done that. You know, five years ago I would have thought that was unimaginable. So it was, it really was. And, but, but, you know, slowly people worked their way around the patents and it's, you know, there's lots of companies that have good noise canceling headphones. Now you don't have to spend a fortune for Bose. I still think Bose are among the best, but, um, you know, and, and, you know, their Bluetooth speakers, they're all good, but, Mm -hmm. and some of them have, have, you know, I've picked as some of my favorites from time to time, but, you know, they've all been beaten out by, less expensive products. So, so there's, you know, brands like Tribit and stuff that have a product for $50. It's maybe as good as the Bose product for a hundred. Mm-hmm. Or you've got uh, you know, like Sony has come along and Sony's, you know, Sony's hundred dollar, hundred and twenty dollar Bluetooth speaker just has a lot more output and a lot more features and everything than the Bose product for 120 bucks or whatever. So I think they haven't been able to keep up. And then of course, you know, Bose, I got to say, I, when I got into this business, uh, Bose was the number one speaker company in, I think the world, certainly America until Amazon introduced the echo. <laughs> yeah. And Amazon became the number one speaker company in a year yeah. in the U S and of course, does Bose have, can Bose compete with Amazon on things like, you know, voice recognition? No, no. And not, not without really dumping a pile of money into it and then still probably failing. So it's just, I think, I think they have a lot of, they still have a lot to offer and they still have nice designs and everything, but it's just, it's really interesting. Bose has just been, has just led, has been such a giant leader. And now they're kind of, a uh, kind of a, an also ran at this point. I think it's really sad to me. I, you know, I have never owned 
much Bose product except for the noise canceling headphones. But I have to say there's one thing I appreciate about Bose and have always appreciated about Bose is Mm -hmm. that they have managed to talk friends of mine into upgrading their sound solutions that probably would not have done with any other brand. You know, say what you will about the sound of the Acoustimass system, you know, Mm -hmm. and there's so many downsides to that system not just in terms of sound quality but also in terms of upgradability you know i mean you know when that system is outdated you know you would just throw it away and buy a new one i guess but but still i have friends who never would have purchased a surround sound speaker system if not for that system and say what you will about you know its flaws but at least they were having an upgraded audio experience which to me that's the most important thing they were at least able to watch movies and music in a way that wasn't 100 compromised and so to me there's there's merit in that and it's really sad to me to see that i mean you know who's filling that void (laughs) who who is who is convincing utter normies these days to buy a surround sound speaker system well nobody because they buy they buy sound bars yeah um, I mean, really, honestly, if you want to look at it, Visio, because Visio has sound bars that have full surround sound, and they're cheap, and they're good. And so Visio, I think Visio, weirdly enough, is playing the role that Bose used to play. And I'm sure if, if somebody at Visio hears this, they're going to be like, well, that feels pretty good. Because um, <laughs> Visio wasn't even in the audio business 10 years ago. Yeah. So, you know, that's pretty good. Um Anyway, I'm just kind of sad about this because to me, Bose, I, yeah, forget the, the stupid speakers, which which haven't been a player for 20 years. Um, you know, the the headphones and the wireless speakers have all been of consistently good quality, and that's why I've recommended them. And so when people tell me they got a Bose Bluetooth speaker, I'm always like, oh, yeah, good. You're going to have something decent. It may not be the best value but it's gonna sound decent and you're gonna like it you're not gonna hate it it's not gonna not work it's not gonna have problems you know so but but you know we'll see i i i don't know you know uh, uh, as audio writers part of our job is to uh explain to audio businesses how to fix their problems even though we have no business experience Mm -hmm. but (laughs) i have no idea what we're talking about but in this case, I don't have any suggestions for Bose at all. I just, I don't know. They have a great brand, great brand name. And I, I don't know. It's just, it's such a, man, the audio business moves, the, the, the consumer audio business that they're in, as opposed to the high-end audio business, just moves really fast. And like in pro audio, same thing. It's like, they're there, but there's, and they have good products, but there's a lot of other people there and companies like Samson. I mean, I have Samson PA speakers and they're great and they're fine. And there's a bigger, there's a bigger batter Bose system I could buy, but it's like, yeah, it's kind of big, kind of expensive. I don't really need that. I'm a jazz guy, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, it's, you know, Hey man, business can be tough. And Bose, Bose road, Bose was definitely at the top of the heap for God. 30 years so yeah. Yeah, almost almost 30 yeah somewhere around 30 years so yeah. uh they can't complain too much yeah. yeah that's that's a great run that's a great run who else had a run like that that is a great run um anyway i don't think i have really any more to say about this do you want to do you want to take a quick break and uh and then come back that. and talk about your piece okay yeah. let's move on all right all right 
And welcome back to the Soundstage Audiophile Podcast with me, Dennis Berger. And me, Brent Butterworth. In this segment, we're going to be talking about one of your stories, Brent, because you wrote this interesting piece on Soundstage Solo that I wanted to pick your brain about called How Consistent is the Quality of Headphones and Earphones? Um, I'm glad you did this because this is this is something I've been wanting to chat with you for a while now. But before we dig into the specifics, I want to ask, like, what brought this story about? Why now? And um, what's what's sort of the top line that that you're hoping people take away from this piece? Well, I've I've wanted to do this for literally decades and uh, or with some audio product, at least, because, you know, as reviewers, we get one sample of a product. We might in some cases get two. But and this has been true for, you know, since since the early days of reviewing. And we always kind of assume or hope that the product that a, that one of our readers buys will be similar or, you know, identical to the one that we reviewed. And we don't really know, though. And so I had a chance, though, because for, for another publication, I had to review a lot of fairly cheap headphones that are marketed to schools because mm-hmm. we wanted to see how loud these headphones would play. And most of them don't have volume limiting. And, you know, you could only order the, because they're marketed to schools. A lot of these things you could only order in quantities of 10. And so I thought, ooh. Ooh, you know, chance favors the prepared mind. So <laughs> just to flatter myself a little bit. But I just thought, ooh, I could I, I could answer my question I've had. So I measured all these things and tried to see how consistent these cheap products were on the assumption that, well, if the cheap products are consistent, then probably the more expensive ones are too. Mm-hmm. And and that's an assumption. Might not be correct, I, I, and I would I have to say in in like real boutique headphones that are made in small quantities, you know, I don't know, I don't know how consistent they are, and I I I might never find out. But this was all cheap stuff, and so I did a couple of sets of headphones, and then I bought some earphones because I I just found some real cheapy earphones that are also marketed to to schools on Amazon. And I think they were $1.97 each. And so I bought a 10 pack. They were only available in 10 packs. And then I also wanted, they were from a company called, uh, what is it? Just Jams. And of course, Jams was spelled with a Z. Because no, kids just like to let it, you know they're hip. Yeah. Yeah. yeah kids, kids like everything better when you, when you change <laughs> the S to a Z. Why wouldn't kids, they? Kids fall for that every time. Without fail. Okay. Like you would be more popular with the kids if you spelled your name D E N N I Z. Mm, probably with the ladies too. Just something to something to think about, Dennis. Yeah. Dennis. I'll consider it. <laughs> so, I also got anyway, I also got, but I thought like, okay, let me get something that's got like a recognizable brand. And so I thought, well, there's stuff for 10 bucks, I know. And so I I got I got these skull candy jib earphones, which I knew from having heard them before that they were okay. Mm-hmm. And so I got one set from Amazon, one set from Walmart, and one set from I think Target. And because I wanted to get them from different, you know, I I, I didn't want to have all models from the same batch, the same production batch. And I figured getting them from three different vendors might fix that because if you get stuff straight from the manufacturer, it's probably going to all be the same production batch, right? Mm-hmm. So anyway, so I ran frequency response measurements on all these things. And I, I'll jump in there and also say, I forgot to mention in the article, I also did phase 
measurements. In other words, it's the left channel in phase with the right channel, but they were all in phase. Everything I tested, the phase was consistent. So at least that's good. I know of one manufacturer who, I won't say who it was, but they got their first round of headphones from China. And this is a name we all know. And they realized the phase was was random on them. And so they had to test every single set of headphones and go in there and resolder the things and sit there, sit there at their, at their office, just re, yeah. And we're talking about like a production run of 500 or something. So, Ooh. Yeah. So anyway, but these, that not a problem here. And however, the frequency response was, I tested some really, really cheap ones from uh, learning headphones or something. I think they were like uh, three or $4 each. And those were, well, first of all, the frequency response on them was, was horrible to begin with. So <laughs> do you want it to be consistent? I don't know. Um, but they were pretty inconsistent. You know, they were, there were differences of about, you know, five to 10 dB, sometimes as much as 15 dB between two sets of headphones. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, they, they, none of them were good. You know, all, all of them, you know, dropped off like a, like a, like a, off a cliff, a, you know, below about 200 Hertz. And they all had this big giant peak at about 1.5 K. And then they fell off above that. So they're, you know, very mid-rangey sounding headphones. But, you know, sound comes out. You can hear voices through them. But then I tested ones from a company called Avid, which makes... And this was more like a $12 or $13 model, I think. Mm-hmm. And it was much, obviously, much nicer build quality. It was not... You know, it was a pretty nice, decent-looking little set of headphones. And, and they had a mic boom on them. And these were pretty solid. Like, the frequency response wasn't... Was still a little wacky. Um, but you know, not much bass, nothing much below about 120 or a hundred or something like that. And then they had like a peak at one K, which is weird with headphones, weird and wrong. Mm-hmm. And, <laughs> and like no energy above that, then a big giant peak at like six K. And so they're a little weird sounding, but they were consistent. They were within a couple DB, um, in, except in one case of the ones I tried, but okay. So, so what I, what I realized from that is like, there's sort of a threshold of like really, 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 really cheap stuff is not QC'd at all. And there's no concern for quality apparently whatsoever. Whereas like, if you just step up to where, so it, to where it's a, a decent looking product with, you know, with a brand name on it and, 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 a, and a, you know, an actual model number and stuff like that. You, you stand a better chance. So moving on, I did the Just Jams Kids earbuds. These are the $1.79 ones. These, tr- these also had truly just awful, awful, awful frequency response, like a big peak at about 500 hertz. And then almost nothing. <laughs> like a peak at 500 hertz and then a peak at like 6 kilohertz. Yeah. So, so you're getting like, like kind of middle mid-range and then you're getting like a little tiny narrow band of treble. So it's kind of like, oh man, it's just, just brutally bad, just brutally bad product. And they were wildly inconsistent. Sometimes differences of 20, 30 decibels in the bass. And yeah, I mean, I'm looking at the measurements of them and like comparing the, the left trace to the right trace, it doesn't even look like they're the same model it, of yeah. headphone, you know, yeah, it's, it's just really random. And, and, and it like, like kind of looks like care. it kind of looks like I asked Bruno to draw a picture of mountains, you know, it, pretty I, much. Yeah. <laughs> Bruno being my 10 year old pit bull for yeah. those <laughs> listeners who don't know who that is. And yeah. so, but however, the, the good news was the skull candy jib and these are nine ninety nine, and they sound okay. Um, 
they were pretty consistent. You know, there were some 5 dB differences here and there. Uh, but you know, all, all of which were in the base up above, above about, you know, six or 700 Hertz, they were dead on consistent. They were mm -hmm. perfect. They were within the range of error of the measurement. And, you know, in the base, there were some differences of about five DB or something like that. But it's, it's been my experiences that, that differences in the base aren't that audible with, you know, between two channels it, with headphones. So because, you know, obviously you can, if you have over-ear headphones, you can have one that's not so well sealed, but you don't hear the bass suddenly pulling over to one side or anything like that because the wavelengths are too long. You can't localize them. Mm -hmm. So anyway, so I, I was heartened that this, these 999 earphones were good enough that, you know, that you can buy in any store were like, okay, they, they actually like obviously made some effort to make a consistent product. So here's my takeaway from this whole thing. Is that you? If you buy something with a name brand, it's probably going to have fairly consistent quality. And I've I've heard people, and in, in fact, Amar Bose. I, I remember reading in an interview that Mark Fleischman did. Oh God, in the, in the late eighties, and Amar Bose was talking about how inconsistent all other speaker companies' products were. And he may have had a point. Obviously, that was thirty some odd years ago, but. Mm -hmm. Um, I would say that any manufacturer who says that has to, you have to name names, you have to prove it. And anyone who's going to make claims that, that manufacturing quality is inconsistent has to do what I did and say, here are samples of the product, you know, and here is how they differ. Mm -hmm. So I kind of feel a little more confident now in the products that we're buying. Yeah. One of the things I wanted to ask you, though, of all of these headphones that you measured, these were all passive earphones that, that you would have to plug into a headphone jack, right? Right. So I have a bit of an ulterior motive here because okay. I wanted to I wanted to drag you into a different discussion about a related issue, but with uh, you know wireless headphones, um, all digital headphones, um, any headphone that connects to an app, in other words. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so um, one of the things that I've run into, I don't do a whole lot of headphone reviews, but there's there was one headphone in particular that I reviewed a few years ago, and the sound was, you know, what it was. Which mm -hmm. it, it, it had some it had some issues. And I, I have to admit, when I when I got finished with the review, I kind of put them aside, but then I pulled them out again because uh, the company didn't want them back. I was going to give them to my wife, and I decided, you know, I'm going to update the firmware for her mm -hmm. before I do. And when I updated the firmware, the headphones sounded radically different afterwards. <laughs> and so one of the things yeah. I'm wondering about is, you know, given that that you do review a lot of wireless headphones and the earphones, how do you account for that? I mean, do you think we need to start putting firmware numbers in our reviews? And and have you found any cases to where a firmware radically changed the sound of a headphone? And what do you do about that? Not just headphones, uh, sound bars, any any active product that's DSP driven, you know, digital signal processing that can be updated. They can radically change the product, the, the the sound of the product with with a download, mm -hmm. and I've had readers suggest that I do firmware, uh, you know, cite the firmware number. Although in, in some cases that's not available, mm -hmm. 
sometimes the app for the headphones or the or whatever will let you know what the firmware number is. Or if if in the case of let's say a Visio, right, where Visio at least with their first the last several years worth of soundbars has had a thing where you go on their website and you download the code and you put it on a USB stick and you shove it into the into the soundbar and it updates itself. So in that mm-hmm. case, you can see from the number, from the file name, you can see the number of the of the firmware version. So, and some apps, like I said, will let you do that. But I think it's probably good to start doing that for reviewers because we just don't know. And I know from my consulting business that I, that I used to do where some companies would put out, let's say a soundbar or a, a Bluetooth speaker or something and then they would have a problem with it and it sounded pretty bad. And then you could go in and then they realized that and they said, oh, ooh, 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 ooh. okay, we'll put out a firmware update to fix that. And, mm-hmm. you know, uh, it's, it's a little frustrating to me. And sometimes they don't tell you that they did that. Mm-hmm. And I mean, a lot of times these companies really just don't publicize what they're doing with their firmware updates. I've just I've had this with a couple of of I just reviewed these Mark Levinson really expensive like thousand dollar headphones and I was going to bring I, that one up. Yeah, yeah, I don't know what and there was some dispute about the measurements that I got, but I stupidly did not check the firmware version and I sent them back to Mark Levinson, you know, or Harmon or you know, whoever, and um, you know, so I had no way to know what I had measured. And who knows what happened to that sample at this point. And then the, this company, Grell, whose earphones I reviewed, you know, they had, they sent out a product that was, in my view, somewhat marginal in functionality. And I, as soon as I got them, I'm just like, these aren't really working too good. So I got onto who knows what forum and started finding a lot of complaints and found out that they had had a firmware update. And so I went in and put in the firmware update and they were better yeah, they didn't have like a sufficient maximum volume. They had Bluetooth connection problems and things like that. And the firmware made some improvements, but I just think that the, the, the big danger to me is if is that companies will, in my experience, I mean, this is not me guessing. This is me observing that this is happening. Companies will ship product just because they're like, hey, you know what? We we got to ship this product now. You know, <laughs> we'll we'll get the firmware right later on. Sort of yeah. like sort of like the way Microsoft has typically shipped betas and then waited for yeah. people to complain and then fix the problems. Um, I'm, I'm working on a story right now for Soundstage Access about uh, uh, Jeff, our editor in chief, asked me to sort of write a story about the the appeal of vintage gear. Mm-hmm. And that was one of the things I touched on, man. Like you buy a a, a stereo receiver from the late 70s like that thing was a finished product when it shipped if it had problems it had them forever and if it's good it's going to be good forever and i likened it to video games you know i'm a big video gamer the the one of the frustrating things about games right now is you cannot buy a finished game day one really like if a game comes out you know for a fact it is going to have flaws it is Mm going to have bugs it is going to in many cases be sort of unplayable and there are a lot of gamers and i'm one of them who have sort of committed to now i don't buy a game unless it's been out for six months because because of the budgets and the lead times on these things and the fact that they often have to go gold you know like a month before they launch because there's a disc issue or whatever 
you, you know there's going to be at least three or four updates before this thing is actually even approaching what they wanted to ship you know so yeah it's a it's a problem in all sorts of domains it really you know it's it, I, I hate this practice with companies and it's one of the th- reasons i often recommend people buy plain old passive loudspeakers because you know what they're done the people mm-hmm. presumably if they're good you know the people put the work in the people voiced them and they're not going to revoice them they're not going to ship them you know semi voiced they're not going to you know y- you've got a finished product and yeah it can't be improved and that's that is one that is one upside to this i should say that like let's say uh you know a hi-fi man well hi-fi man is continually updating its products but mm-hmm. they they do, but they don't make any. You know, they make passive products almost exclusively with with headphones and earphones, and th- so they ship out a product, and then you know, like a year later, sometimes even less than that, they'll ship out a new version because they've made improvements in it, and mm-hmm. so the people that have the old product can't get the improvement, right, right, and you know. But on the other hand, you know, I've talked to to Fang Bien, the president of of Hi-Fi Man, and he says, well, you know, shouldn't I be shipping the best product I can? And I'm kind of like, well, yeah, but, Mm -hmm. you know, it's a problem. And I know it's a problem for dealers. I've talked to dealers who sell those headphones and the dealers get pretty annoyed by it. Um, Whereas with a set of true wireless earphones, they can make improvements in them going down the line. And, And this is, look, this is the way of the future. And it's, it's. You know, they're doing this in cars now, you know, where they're oh, yeah. adding features to the cars, you know, with a with an update of the firmware on the car, which they do over the air. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's it's almost like the products we buy, we're not entirely in control of. Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and it does make our, it, you know, it sort of puts an expiration date on a lot of the reviews that we write. Oh, yeah. Know? Oh, yeah. You know, for most of my career. Well, once I started writing for the web, it was sort of an assumption that my review would be valid for the lifespan of that product. Well, these days, in a lot of cases, it's it's valid f- until, you know, the company updates the firmware again, which is tricky. Yeah. And, you know, I was involved with a product when I was consulting and I had okayed it. And I said, and actually the, the, they shipped me the sample and the product manager, who was a really solid guy, he had, he had tuned it. He had given it his sample of, of approval. They sent it to me. I tested it, ran measurements, compared it to other products. I'm just like, this thing is fantastic. Don't change anything on it. <laughs> and so lo and behold, I get a call like six months later or something from the PR guy who's saying, didn't you test this product? I'm like, yeah, and it was great. He said, well, go read the review on CNET. And the CNET review was just trashing it. And I was reading this. I'm like, there's no way this is the same product. It's just not possible. And what had happened is the product manager had left the company and some new guy came in and decided he knew better and it completely messed up the sound of the product. And that's what they shipped. And so then they rehired me again to come up with some kind of a fix for the product that was you know, fixing it, but not, but not completely discarding what this other manager had done because they didn't want to like, completely say, oh, you're an idiot. You know, we're going to fix your mistake. They're going to kind of try to incorporate some of his stuff as well as, you know, and they never changed the model number. <laughs> oh, <laughs> you know, wow. Nothing yeah. like that. And of course, you could update the the other ones if you knew the update existed. Mm-hmm. And 
it was just a real mess. And so there's people that bought that product that are getting something. Nobody's getting a product that's as good as what I tested. And the people that got the early product have a really pretty bad sounding product. And the people that got the up, unless they updated, and the people who got the updated product have a decent sounding product. Mm-hmm. But this is the wave of the future. This is the way all this active product's going to be. And that's why a lot of audiophiles, I think, are just like, you know what? I'm going to stick with my tube amp and my passive speakers and, and my turntable and stuff like that. And, you know, I can't argue with them. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, uh, I think that's a good place to wrap this one up. Let's okay. take a break real quick. And um, let's do that. We'll come back and we'll talk about um, hearing tests. Hello, I am Brent Butterworth. And I'm Dennis Berger. And you are listening to the Soundstage Audiophile Podcast. And our mm-hmm. next topic is going to be an article that you, Dennis Berger, wrote for Soundstage Access. Mm-hmm. Right? Did I get it right that time? Yeah, you oh, did. I did. I did. Awesome. And the article is the article is titled Every Audiophile Needs to Do This Annually. And I assume that what you meant by that headline is buy a new digital to analog converter. Am I right? <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, if your old one doesn't support MQA, what are you going to do? Yeah, you got to yeah, have a new or one. Or MQA2. Yeah. <laughs> or, this, or MQA. The new firmware, you know? the new firmware <laughs> update to MQA. <laughs> yeah, I mean, as we were referring back to our last segment, as professionals do. Um, yeah. So anyway, in this article, though, what you're talking about is something that audiophiles don't talk about. You know, what 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 is that Ray Carver book? Like what we talk about when we don't talk about something or something. Mm. But it's like that. Audiophiles never talk about their hearing health and, or they rarely do. And you are talking about it and talking and explaining how why you test your hearing and why and how you test your hearing. And apparently you had mentioned this in a previous story kind of in passing at the end, and you got a lot of questions from readers. So yeah, not just just readers, but colleagues as well. Yeah. Okay. It was a story that, that uh, you and I discussed on a previous episode of the podcast, the most dangerous myth in audio. Um, And yeah, at the end of that, I just made some passing reference to the fact that I do an annual self-administered hearing test. And, um, people lost their minds over that it's like i got this flood of emails from people going like number one how (laughs) and number two why and i was i was really surprised and in fact a few of our colleagues at soundstage emailed me and like how are you doing this and so so what's the big mystery i mean hearing tests have been established for for you know i don't know 50 60 70 80 years yeah the thing is though i think most people assume you have to go to an audiologist to do it, right? And I think it was the the term self-administered that probably mm-hmm. threw people off. Um, but yeah, so I just, I just wanted to sort of write an article about, A, how I do it, and and B, I think sort of, it's a sort of three-step process for me, and I sort of wanted to talk about the, 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 the veracity of each step, because like I said in the article, I start off on pretty firm scientific ground, and then it gets a little messy, <laughs> you know? And I wanted to be honest and open about that, um, but the fact of the matter is, it's sort of, you know, audiologist standard hearing tests only really go up to uh, 8,000 hertz, right? And, and the reason for that is because, you know, what they're focused on, I guess, is 
sort of speech intelligibility and things like that. But yeah. in our domain, you know, we're, we're worried about higher frequencies than that. There's no real standard for how to test your hearing acuity at higher frequencies. So it's a bit of a Frankenstein process for me. Why is um, there no standard for testing your hearing acuity at higher frequencies? Well, I think a couple of reasons. You could probably speak to this more intelligently than I could, but I think it's A, you're worried about speech. That's yeah. the main thing. And B, uh, once you get above that, variability and and reliability in the the um in the headphones, you know, what you're going to be using for the testing. Yeah. Um so exactly. But, uh, anyway, there's a great app called Mimi uh, that I use for sort of, you know, the, the the basis of my hearing test and one of the things that I didn't know that I discovered in the course of writing this story is that Mimi is apparently a very different experience on iOS and Android. Hmm. Um I, I did not realize that. And, and I think that accounts for the fact that if you look at the iOS app store, it's a very highly rated app. If you look at the Android app store, it's not very well rated. And I think that what that boils down to is on iOS, they have uh, a few calibrated headphones. They say, hey, if you use one of the headphones on this list, we've, we've, we've measured the frequency mm -hmm. response of that, and we know your results are going to be accurate. But they don't have any calibrated headphones for Android, at least not yet. They're working yeah. on it. But that's very important. But um, yeah, the Mimi app actually lets you go through two different hearing tests. There's just a, a straight up threshold test. Um, and then there is a test that that sort of uh, gauges your ability to hear in the presence of noise. Um, it'll play random noise and tones. Yeah. And can, can you identify these tones even though we're playing sort of white noise in the background? Um, it's just the it's the, the the standard pure tone threshold test that that I use, um, and I've used it to do a lot of um, audiograms in, in recent months. I, I used it when I when I did a, a story about how I went half deaf from COVID. Um, I was able to track the progress of that. But anyway, I think I think most people should be using this app, and I think the main reason that I do it well, there's two main reasons. One, mm -hmm. as I said in the story, my ears are my instrument, and I think my readers have a right to know how well my ears are performing. Mm -hmm. um, I think, you know, if you're talking about 50-year-olds who are looking to, to, to my articles for buying advice, eh, chances are my hearing is better than theirs. <laughs> so they're pretty good. But if you're like a 22-year-old and you're coming into this hobby for the first time, there's just no doubt that your hearing is better than mine. If you're yeah. a female uh, who, is, who, who is looking for, for product advice, almost certainly your hearing is better than mine. And I think, I think my readers have a right to that information. I think they have a right to know so they can call BS if I'm making claims that, that aren't backed up by my actual hearing acuity. Yeah. So is there, if you're talking about like, like, you know, something going on at 18 K or something like that, right. which let's face it. I mean, almost no, almost no male reviewers can hear that if any at all, maybe some of the really young guys, yeah. um, you know, it's it's starting to it's it's starting to lose credibility. Not that they don't do lots of other things to lose them credibility, but <laughs> yeah. you know, I, I've noticed because I I've always made it a point to, or not always, but certainly in the last twenty years, have I've have made it a point to work with younger listeners because I noticed way back when I was at Home Theater Magazine, and we were doing tests of. Uh, really early, very primitive tests of Dolby Digital versus DTS when it came out. I There were so many things where I 
couldn't really hear a difference. And the younger listeners could because uh, Dolby Digital uses coupling where they basically combine all the channels above a certain frequency. They combine all the channels into one. Mm. And then they re because your ears aren't sensitive to to phase and direction at not only at low frequencies but also at super high frequencies, and mm-hmm. so above I don't know fifteen k or something like that, they will combine all the channels into one, and then they'll split them back out to each channel, the same exact signal to each channel, but at the at, at the level appropriate for that channel, right? Mm-hmm. So and DTS at the time didn't do that because DTS used a lot more data, and so. I found that younger listeners could hear the difference in spaciousness caused by the coupling, whereas I couldn't. And at that mm-hmm. point, and I was in my late 30s, and at that point, I'm kind of like, oh, <laughs> I got to start using, I got to start always, you know, trying to find younger listeners to help me out. And yeah. so I typically do. And I find that very often they hear, I can have a set of headphones that to me sounds absolutely great, and they're hearing a 15K peak that I can't hear. Mm hmm. One of the other things I talked about in the story is, okay, like how, how do, how am I testing my hearing above 8k? Um, yeah. and there's, there's this great website called audiocheck.net. They've got a bunch of tests and some of them are sighted and some of them are blind, but they, they'll actually go up to 22 kilohertz. Um, they've got this, this one really cool sighted test where they run a frequency sweep. That's at like negative nine DB full scale. Mm-hmm. And it starts at 22 and goes down to eight. And every time it hits a uh, thousand hertz threshold, there's an announcement, you know, uh, 20,000 hertz, 19,000 hertz. And um, and you could sort of like once you can start to hear that that sweep, you know, that that sign tone, you know, OK, well, this is like this is where my hearing is. But then mm-hmm. you can go on to do a blind ABX test. And what's really cool about this one is they have sort of, I think, in a lot of ways, taken the the uh, the inconsistency of frequency response somewhat. They've diminished the effects of that. What they do is they they will have um, two white noise samples. One of them will be full bandwidth, and one of them will be band limited. Mm-hmm. And just to give you an example, like uh, I when I was listening to the sighted test, like I thought I could start to hear a tone come in at around 16 kilohertz. Mm-hmm. And then they they have this ABX test, blind ABX test, where they will play full range white noise, and then they will play white noise with everything above 16 kilohertz filtered out. And can you tell the difference? Hmm. I found with the 16 kilohertz, I could not consistently. Whereas you get down to 15 kilohertz, and it's like every time, 100%, yeah, I know which is which. Oh, I have to go take that then. That sounds really interesting because you know, yeah. my hearing tops out at about 12K. Yeah. Well, that well, this will let you know. Mm-hmm. Like, where where are you really tapping out? So, um, but yeah, in, anyway, I just thought it, it really this was this was mainly a way for me to say, here, here's how I test my hearing. Here's where I think I'm on firm ground. Here's where I think I'm on really shaky ground. But here's why I think people should be doing this, you know, especially people that are that are in our industry, people who are going to argue on Facebook about whether, the, you know, they can hear the difference between, you know, five nines copper and six nines copper or what yeah. have you. Yeah, you know, I it, it's put your money where your mouth is, buddy. <laughs> like, show me an uh, show me your your actual hearing acuity. And, and, and again, it's not just for bragging rights. It's not just, uh, it's not just to back up arguments. I, I think this is, this is important information that our readers should have. 
So Yeah, especially because as you point out in the article, if you monitor your hearing health, then you know, you will start to see a decline. And if you start to really have problems, you'll go to an audiologist when it's still relatively easy to solve the problem. Mm -hmm. You know, I've seen this happen with my dad and it's a frog in a pot kind of thing. Like my dad did not realize that his hearing was, was really, you know, in the toilet until it was bad. It, It happened so slowly and so gradually that one day he realized, oh crap, I'm half deaf. You know, and then he went to get hearing aids and he has not adapted well to the experience because then it's not a slow, gradual process. It's night and day, you know, and suddenly your hearing is drastically changing. He is not adapting well to that. So the instant that I need, you know, hearing support, I want to know. I want to be at an audiologist. I want to be working on this like as soon as I need to be. I want as much warning as I can get. So. Yeah. And, you know, I've probably talked to about 10 audiologists, maybe 12, and every single one of them tells the same story that, you know, people wait so long until it's a big problem and they get the hearing aids and they have a problem adjusting to them. They don't because it takes a long time to adjust to them. It's not like glasses. It's not like reading glasses where you put it on. It's like, oh, I can read now. You, mm-hmm. it, it, you know, hearing aids give you a really different sound that you're not used to and it doesn't sound natural at first and it takes you know weeks to get used to them mm-hmm. and and the, the big the biggest problem with hearing aids is people not well there's two problems number one people not admitting that they need them and number two people not using them once they get them mm-hmm. so and the, there's another problem too in that you know, loss of hearing acuity at high frequencies is one of the biggest contributing factors in tinnitus. Um, and, you know, my dad has got really bad tinnitus now. And it's the point to where it drives him crazy. And his audiologist said, you know, if you'd started wearing hearing aids 10 years earlier, this might not be as bad as it is. Yeah. And um, and dementia, because when you have hearing loss and you start to have a problem understanding people's voices, it, it leads to like emotional isolation and dementia sets in. Oh wow! I yeah. didn't realize that. Oh yeah. yeah, it's a it's a real problem. So so checking your hearing every year. You're right for audio for anybody. Everybody should check their hearing. No, you don't have to go to an audiologist right away. But you know, if you're if you're over fifty or something, you probably should check your hearing every year or two or something like that, and just kind of keep an keep an eye on it. And 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 you know, with these apps, you can do it for free or at very low cost. Mm-hmm. And at least have some idea of what you can hear. And I think for audiophiles too, it's really important because you're spending all this money on this stuff. Maybe you don't need a super tweeter if you can't hear above 12K anyway. Right. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Or maybe maybe you shouldn't be advocating for different, you know, PCM filters and DACs if, you know, I mean, like I said in the story, like at this point, my my preference for PCM filters is very nearly academic because, you know, except in very extreme cases, I can't hear the roll off anymore. (laughs) So there you go. But um, so we should we should wrap this up. Yeah, man. You want to do some credits? I'd like to do some credits. Um, this It's highly likely that this podcast will be mixed and mastered and edited by one Dennis Berger. <laughs> or maybe one Brent Butterworth. Who it's knows? It's possible. We never know until <laughs> it happens. 
Right, yeah. We should say we're a production of the Soundstage Network, which is a collection of nine microsites that covers all sorts of topics in audio, from the very, very high end to, you know, connected audio, to you write about headphones, I write about affordable stuff. So uh, no matter what your passion is in audio, we probably got a microsite that's got you covered. And the music in this was provided by probably me and probably some of my friends, like maybe Ron Seiger and Dan Gonda. Mm -hmm. And do we need to credit anybody else? I don't think so, man. I think we're ready to wrap this up and uh, let everybody know. We'll hopefully see you in a couple of weeks. Cool. Okay. Bye, everybody. Bye. Bye.